Dun, dun. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Welcome to Stargazing, a Stargate Gazing podcast. I'm your host, Kathy. And I'm your other host, Mary. And each week we discuss an episode of Stargate beginning with Stargate SG-1. Ooh, hello. 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 I thought maybe you really had given up on me. I was like, oh no, she's not coming. No, I am here. All right, new mic who dis. <laughs> I'm so- theoretically even more soundproofed than before although i'm holding my soundproofing stuff up with tape everywhere and i don't think that's really gonna <laughs> cut it long term so uh those pieces are already falling off of my staple gun now. i'm gonna staple gun stuff up from now on it keeps falling down on me as it is <laughs> i really didn't want to put holes in the wall but here we are <laughs> So if you just hear that random clunk throughout the recording, you'll know why. <laughs> just because more and more of my soundproofing has fallen down. Excellent. Would have taken way less time if I had just done staples to begin with, too. But like I said, I was trying to save yeah. the walls of this rented place. But oh, well. Does it just is it the material not just compatible with tape? I guess not. I mean, it's, it's foam. Yeah. I wasn't really expecting it to hold like super well, but I was hoping it would at least hold a little bit better than it it actually yeah. is. Yeah. So hello. hello. How are you today? Good. It's getting busy at work, which means I'm huh. tired and also yeah. I had to talk all day, which is fine, except it's been a really long time since I've had to do that. Oh. Do we need to start recording on a different day? No, it's okay. All the days are going to be like this for probably at least the next month. Yeah. Well, do you want to do, like, weekends or something? No, it's fine. I, sorry, now I'm yawning. <laughs> That's quite no, all right. it's just, uh, after this, I'm going to go into extreme don't-talk-to-me mode and lay on my couch and turn on the TV and sit in the dark in the air conditioning and... Isn't that pretty much your whole life? Anyway, it is. When you're not but working you know, or recording podcasts. Sometimes I message people and <laughs> ah, talk fair. to my mom and I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm going to hide and not talk to anybody. Oh, I'll miss and play, you. And play the new... Because I'm usually one of those people <laughs> you're messaging, true. so I'll miss you. <laughs> I've got some uh, Sudoku to catch up on, so I need to get on that. That is important. <laughs> Damn it, I just lowered my chair by mistake. <laughs> Hang on. I'm just never going to be ready today. It's okay. Nice. What are you drinking? I have Mass Landing Gunner's Daughter, which Ooh. I really enjoy. That's that peanut butter chocolate one. Yeah. Yeah. It's delicious. That's so good. I am drinking Two Roots Brewing non-alcoholic IPA. That's good, too. Straight drink, which is really good. But then I've also got my next beer on deck, which will be East Rock Pilsner, because this one's already, like, half done. Well, yay, East Rock. Boo, Pilsner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I like it. 
I know you and your opinions on Pilsners, yes. which are incorrect. They can't be helped. I just don't like them. Your incorrect opinions There's on Pilsners. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't make myself like <laughs> them. Fair. How are you? Sorry, I, I'm, I'm all over oh, the place. How are yeah. you doing today? <laughs> I'm fine. I'm also all over the place. Uh, I've been doing actual work again today, which is fine. My classes start in a couple days, so... I had to uh, post my syllabus and a bunch of other stuff up on the on the portal for my students because they've been asking me for it already. I'm like, classes don't start for a few more days. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? Why are you like this? <laughs> I was not. I was. I maybe. I guess maybe they're just better students than I was, but I was for sure not emailing the professor several days in advance asking them for oh, the syllabus. Oh, definitely no. <laughs> Like, not even in grad school when I was a much better student than when I was an undergrad. That just seems so extra. I just can't. It, is. it really yeah. is. I've been. I've had like four students email me, four or five students email me about it. I'm like, oh. Did you tell them they should watch Stargate? <laughs> I chill. did not. <laughs> I did not tell Give them Give it that. a rest for a few days? I should. I should. How unethical would it be to use my classes to promote the podcast? <laughs> They talk about science. You you teach mm-hmm. science, it all relates. I do. I rant about science. Both here and yeah. in class. You can be like, here's this scene from the infirmary at SG1. What have they done wrong? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> yep, good yeah. times. I did my first two interviews today for workers that Ooh. I and I haven't interviewed anybody in nearly two years, so right. it was it was a little rough going at first. I mean, it's pretty yeah. easy interviews that I do, but but it was still a little bit much. I think I only ever viewed somebody like once, and I didn't like no. it, and I didn't really like them, but they were the only person that applied, <laughs> so I hired them anyway. <laughs> I mean, we're more or less at a point where if we send an email saying, hey, want to come for an interview, it more or less means they're hired anyway. Yeah. But we, you know, like to meet people in case there's any egregious problems. And today, actually, there was a kid. I don't know. This isn't really podcasty at all. There was this kid who my colleague had written to people that they, we wanted to interview and said fill out this poll saying what time you want to do the interview but then also send us an email and let us know if you're going to do it in person or over zoom and also to confirm the mm-hmm. time this person didn't and oh, then good. so they let they let my colleague left it up to me to decide whether or not i was going to try to reach out and see if they were actually going to show up today so i sent them an email and 10 minutes before the interview time they sent an email saying they wanted to meet over Zoom. And I was like, great, see you in a few minutes. And then he was late. <laughs> awesome. It was, just, it was a few minutes, but I'm like, these things are annoying. That's still annoying. And you need to be on time for an interview, whether that's in person or you remote. You also need to read your damn emails. Right. Also that. Anyway, so. That's really yeah. irritating. I'm glad I don't have to worry about stuff like that anymore. <laughs> We have to do a lot of them because, you know. Because you've got like a million open yes. positions in your yes. department. Literally a million. Yes, it is. It is going to be crazy to fill yep. a million positions. It will be. Yeah. All by yourself, too. Yep. That's weird. I'm surprised they gave you all that work to do by I'm yourself. I'm like the SG1 of my job. 
I'm the only one they have to do these things, no matter what. You need to do everything. It doesn't matter what my expertise actually is. Right. You need to be an expert at everything, regardless of what your training is actually in. (laughs) So speaking of SG-1, what are we talking about today? We are talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 2, Episode 14, Touchstone. Yeah, good times. Indeed it is. All of the good times (laughs) were had by the people of this episode. Actually, some of them seemed like they weren't having good times at all, so maybe we should get into that. That's true. There were many people not having good times. Many people not having good times. Was anybody having a good time, actually? Uh, Tilk seemed to be having a good time (laughs) in this episode, I thought. But other than Tilk, no. (laughs) So, at the episode with a shot of the gate through the window of the meeting room, we pan over past a guard standing completely in shadow, (laughs) which I thought was weird, (laughs) and see SG-1 and Hammond gathered around the table. There was also another guard behind them that was standing mostly in shadow, but he wasn't just a black silhouette like the first guard. So I kind of wanted to know what was happening here. Like, is this, was that where the timeout corners are for the guards. And like, if you're naughty, you get the mostly dark corner. But if you're really naughty, you get the completely dark corner. <laughs> Maybe. We never find that out. <laughs> Sam is talking about how in the five weeks since they returned from PX7941, which is the planet that the locals call Madrona, they've been processing a lot of data and learning about the inhabitants and they have found out that the people that live there can, can completely control their weather. Jack emphasizes that they can call it up just like that. And then he snaps his fingers. Hammond asks, are you sure you weren't under the influence of some local voodoo? <laughs> Which was weird, but anyway. Sam says that nobody was more skeptical than her, but this technology would actually probably be the most important piece of tech that they've found to date throughout the entire SG program. And Tilk says that even the Gwowul don't have technology like this that can control the weather of an entire planet all within one small thing. They figured somehow that the planet was terraformed around 900 years ago, and Daniel points out that the locals are technologically primitive in all other respects, so it must have been done by some other race. Sam hits a button, and a picture comes up on the overhead projector of a statue holding what looks like an armillary sphere, which if anybody doesn't know what that is, it's kind of like a sphere in the middle with rings that rotate around it. And it is apparently specifically the sphere in the hand of the statue rather than the, the entire statue thing that is actually the, the technology bit. I didn't know that, so thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I was like, it's his, it's their Emmy. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> also looks a bit like an Emmy. <laughs> I didn't know what else to call it, honestly. I had no idea. That's fair. <laughs> an Emmy without the person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Sam says that the rings that are on this thing are extremely well calibrated and that they control meteorological conditions on the whole planet. Hammond asks what makes it tick. And Jack says that they don't really know, but Carter wants to go look at it with her technical doohickeys. (laughs) 
she clarifies that she wants to get some emission readings from it. And Hammond asks if they can maybe just borrow it for a few days and try to reverse engineer it. But Sam's pretty adamant that that is not a good idea because it's maintaining the weather on this planet. So it would be rather uninhabitable if they took it from the planet. So Hammond says, all right, go science then. <laughs> so they do. Mm-hmm. Or at least they, they attempt, attempt to. to. They arrive on the planet and it's dark and a bit stormy looking. The gate seems to be like right in the middle of their village or town. Mm. It was a very pretty seaside yeah. setting. Daniel bows down and greets them. They demand the return of the touchstone, and the team is like, say what now? (laughs) And they insist again, the touchstone must be returned, don't play games. And Jack's like, that wasn't us, we did not do anything. So the Madronans lead the team away from the gate to see for themselves that the touchstone is gone. And the team, while they are walking, are surrounded by guards who are holding spears at them. Pointing spears. There's the word. Yes. Yep. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> they go to the statue, and indeed, there is no device in the hand anymore. That hand is held at such an awkward and unnatural angle. It, it, it is, bothered me a yeah. bit. I don't know why. Probably because both the, as someone that... Teaches A&P and also as somebody who has an art degree, the combination of the two. I was like, people can't bend their wrists that way. (laughs) (laughs) Roham says that they are going to soon be taken over by the elements and begin to die off because of the theft. Because of their theft, SG-1's theft. SG-1 totally stole this. Jack wants to know why they weren't guarding it. And... Roham says that they do guard it, but they let their guard down because they trusted SG-1. <laughs> and Jack's like, it wasn't us. And Teal'c's like, why would we come back if we'd taken it? There's no need for that. Valid question. Yes. The woman who I think is the niece of Roham, I think she called him uncle, yeah. but I didn't catch her name. She did. Yeah. I don't know her name either. I don't think they ever said it. Um, she says that... There were witnesses, and they said they saw a group taking it in the dead of night, dressed like SG-1 and carrying weapons like SG-1s. Jack asks where they go, and they told him that they went through the Stargate like SG-1 did, and that the Madronans don't know how to use the Stargate, as the team knows. Why don't they bother to show them how to use it? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe these people were like, we're not interested. We yeah. yeah, We like our little world. Could we be. just like having a decorative ring in the middle of town. Yeah. Roham then orders his guards to disarm SG-1 and Jack pulls out a gun and shouts, hold it. Things are a little tense for a moment. Jack says, we came in peace and we expect to go in peace, P-I-E-C-E. Go in one piece, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Roham Mm -hmm. says, explain yourself, but if your answers aren't satisfactory, they're going to do bad things to SG-1. And Teal'c's like, that's not helpful since we didn't take the thing. And Roham thinks that will lead us to those who did. And Jack's like, only if they care what happens to SG-1. 
And then he says something about not being in touch with his feminine side or no side. He says that thieves oh. aren't in touch with their feminist side and caring would be a low priority for them, which was an extremely sexist yeah. statement. That was weird. <laughs> Both on the assumption that women aren't thieves and that you have to have a feminine side to care yeah. about people. While Jack is saying that, Roham seems to lose all interest and walks away. <laughs> his niece says that he grows in her uncle grows impatient and daniel says that if the thieves did use the gate they've got to let sg1 go back to find the touchstone and sam says that we should be able to find it if it's on earth with their technology <laughs> Rurham's like you use the gate to escape responsibility <laughs> which is exactly how it was said it is exactly how he said it. I thought that you were playing a recording of him saying it. <laughs> yeah. Jack's like, trust us. And the woman's like, um. They seem to be increasingly using that as an argument, like the last several yeah, episodes. Yeah. Like, I just know. So. Just trust me. It's fine. Yeah. It's not a great argument, guys. <laughs> no. And she points out after that that their entire future will depend on this decision to trust them. And Jack's like, we could do it. Okay, that's a little pressure, but we can handle that. Then a gust of wind busts open a door. And Roham then decides to let them go and pleads for them to help the Madronans. Then credits. Credits. Mm. Credits. (laughs) That was terrible. Anyway, back in the base, the team comes back through the gate. And reports back to Hammond that there's some problems going on. Jack and Hammond go into Hammond's office and Jack elaborates about the whole story that happened. Hammond, of course, wants to know who it was that could have taken the touchstone. And Jack kind of pointedly says, we'd all like to know that. Hammond does not appreciate the implication that he had something to do with this and asks why he would have sent Jack and SG-1 to study it if he knew it wasn't there. Jack says that he didn't intend to imply anything, but that it does beg the question if any other teams could go through without his order. And Hammond tries to emphasize that, nope, he knows everything that's going on on the SGC, and it's not at all possible, even though we've had plenty of evidence to the contrary. So Jack asks Hammond to let Sam check the logs on the dialing computer just in case, but Hammond is adamant that it's impossible for anyone to go through the gate without him knowing, but as Jack goes to leave, Hammond calls after him to have Sam check the logs anyway. <sighs> there there are a lot of alarms anytime the gate opens, so it seems like they'd it's probably true. at least know at the end of it whether somebody snuck through. This is true. But there have been other times where Hammond was surprised at something that was going on. That on is base, true. So. <laughs> Not necessarily someone going through, but I'm just saying there's a bunch of stuff that Hammond seems to be miss seems to miss. Yes. <laughs> In the control room, Sam is at the computer going through these gate dialing records. I guess. Were you bothered by the clacky keyboard? No, I actually didn't pay attention to it, so that was good. No. Oh. I'll have to make sure to insert some Thank- clacky keyboard noises here to bother you when you're <laughs> queuing. I can't. The I can't wait for that. That's going to be so great. I love it. You're I welcome. love it so much. <laughs> I think I was too busy trying to like see what she was doing or like Fair. type things <laughs> myself on my non-clacky <laughs> laptop. 
Nope. Daniel and Teal'c are just hanging out with Sam while she's doing this because they don't do anything else. And right. Jack comes in and asks if they found anything yet. And Sam says there's nothing about the touchstone. But Daniel says they think they found... I guess they're not doing anything. They're observing the weather, watching, watching the, the news, news reading yeah. weather, weather reports, whatever. So I apologize, Daniel and Teal'c. You're very valuable. It's very important work they're yes. doing watching the yes. weather reports. Tilk shows Jack the video or the, the TV. Yeah, whatever. And yeah. then there's footage of some flooding and storms. They say there's flooding in Palm Springs and a lot of rainfall in Albuquerque and hail in the panhandle and all kinds of things. Dogs and cats living together. Sounds like it could be a modern day forecast from uh, 2021. Yeah. So something seems to be altering the weather. Jack says something about the touchstone, but I wrote Isaria, and I don't know what that means. So we'll just skip that. <laughs> um, oh, he thinks that it's a stretch. A stretch. When Te- oh. Teal'c and Daniel <laughs> think that the, the weather change is the result of the touchstone, Jack says he thinks that's a stretch. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Specifically, I think he said that's a, a real, real stretch. stretch. So maybe you were like just... Got distracted halfway through that. I sentence. apologize. I am not at my best apparently this week, so it's quite all right. I'm never at my best. It's all good. Yeah. Daniel doesn't think it's a stretch, though. He says that the touchstone was key to the conditions on Madrona, and if stolen and brought here and someone started fiddling it, they wouldn't know how to work it, and who knows what would happen. And Jack's like, "We don't know what's on Earth," and Sam says, uh, "Yeah, we do," and said there was. A huge transitory glitch the other day when mm-hmm. SG-2 returned from a routine mission. mission. And that it happened at the same hour the touchstone was taken. Very <gasps> suspicious. Indeed. Teal'c says SG-2 was coming from galaxies away, which I didn't know they traveled to multiple galaxies. Did we know that? Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought this was all supposed to be within this one. I don't know. <laughs> Although I think... In the movie, they say that they're, that Abydos is on the other side of the known That's universe. That's true. Which I don't actually know how large the known universe was back in 1994 or in 1998 when this was I happening. I know, and I feel like they made changes for the show, and I feel like one of them was that it was galaxy-contained, certainly because yeah, so in Atlantis, I. and to spoiler yeah. things, in Atlantis, they're in another <laughs> galaxy, and then we have later the whole Ori thing, which is also another yeah. galaxy. Yeah. But I anyway... Anyway. It's far away from Majorna, so how could that how could they have taken the touchstone? But Sam says that the last time they saw the Stargate overloaded like this, it jumped to the second gate that time she and Jack were transported to Antarctica. Yeah. Via the second gate that we forgot. Yeah. About. So it might have been using the first Stargate to hide the energy signature of the second gate being activated. Jack equates this to shooting a gun while the train is going by. And to clarify, that's to hide the sound of the gun. Sam says that there's an electronic signal that they can match to see if this is what happened. So they can compare it to the Mm -hmm. last time the wormhole jumped. But then it's no match. And Daniel's like, try the backup log. That was also no match. But then, oh, my God, there's a tertiary backup. <laughs> oh, my God. And they wouldn't Convenient. they wouldn't have thought to check the tertiary. And if they had, there probably would have been a whatever quadruple 
back up just so yeah. that quaternary yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the quaternary logs but we don't need to go that far because the perpetrators were not smart enough to go for the tertiary logs one is none and one is none and two is one and three is two and four is three and they find the match <laughs> they do it's identical it's an exact match yeah. Granted, I'm not a physicist, but I am very skeptical that this would work exactly in that way with an exact energy signature. I just smile and nod. But again, not a physicist, so maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Also, I was confused because wouldn't there have been multiple energy spikes? Because wouldn't they have had to leave to like go out and then also come back? Are there only energy spikes going in one direction? What happens if you try to dial the second gate? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think it, it theoretically it should work. Well, did it work to go yeah. places? But I would think that there would still be an energy spike. But again, who Was, knows? Not I'm trying to remember in the Anto- when they were in Antarctica, did they, were they yeah. able to chip open the DHD and try it? Was it that it didn't have power or? She was trying to dial home, oh, so it didn't right, work she because she was trying home. to call the location right. she was already at. So yeah. if they had tried dialing out, maybe it would have worked. It yeah. might have actually worked, okay. yeah. So they're confused because the second Stargate was officially decommissioned. What's going on? (gasps) Who knows? Not me. Spoiler alert, we do, kind of, because we watched the rest of the episode. (laughs) You wouldn't know it by the way I talk. (laughs) That's fair. I mean, to be fair, I only just watched this today also, so... (laughs) watched it last night it wasn't that long ago oh i thought you said you watched it last oh, I watched, week i was like oh, oh okay I watched, yeah. all right then never mind i will uh be less horrible monster <laughs> less understanding of your brain that's routine. for the best yeah in hammond's office jack knocks on the door and hammond tells him to come in but he is on the red phone saying no i need to talk to him now son do you know what color this phone is <laughs> he probably doesn't <laughs> I laughed out loud to that as I was walking on the treadmill taking my notes. And I was wondering if we, do you think that he had the same kind of argument a few episodes back in Bane when he was also having trouble getting in touch with the president? Oh, maybe. Like he was so irate in here, but before when in Bane. There's the juice. And he was like, oh, I just can't get in touch with him. He didn't really seem that put out by it. Maybe it wasn't as en- enraging a situation. Hammond gets put on hold, and while he's on hold, he asks Jack if Sam found anything. And Jack tells him about the use of the second gate. Hammond again says that he was told, as they were, that it was decommissioned. And Jack likens this to a case of the left hand not knowing what the right foot is doing. Hammond says, well, that's what he's trying to find out. Apparently, the guy... On the other end of the red phone has come back at this point, and Hammond is not at all happy to be told that his BFF isn't there, and so they can't talk. So he tells the person on the other end to have his bestie Prezi call him ASAP. After he hangs up the phone, Hammond laments that every time that he calls the president, he's busy, as though someone's specifically orchestrating his schedule to make him unavailable to poor abandoned Hammond. Aw. Sucks when you can't get in touch with your friends. A bandy hammy. A bandy hammy. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Jack asks if he has someone in mind that might be able to do that. 
Hammond says that this is going to sound paranoid, but way back at the beginning of the Stargate program, there was apparently a huge philosophical debate about the purpose of the missions. And some people, some of the higher ups in these conversations, thought that any useful tech that was found should just be taken from the places it was found, regardless of any interplanetary diplomacy. Totally shocking, I know, but gross. (laughs) Jack wants to know, who are some people Hammond says he never really knew exactly, but he always had a feeling that there were other people pulling the strings kind of behind the scenes beyond the people that he was aware of that were involved in these meetings. Jack asks if he thinks those people might be responsible for this whole second gate and touchstone theft debacle. Hammond says he's a long way from coming to that conclusion, but he's going to be damned if he'll be blocked by some sycophant in the White House. And he's got other contacts to check in with, apparently. Jack doesn't really need to be telling Hammond this, but says whoever these dark side people are, they can do some significant damage if they figure out how to actually use the touchstone. And Hammond says, of course, he knows. And he's going to make some calls. Sometime later, in the conference room, the team and Hammond are there. Sam is explaining something about a measure of... The Doppler ship from gravitational and radiational emissions. Uh, yeah. She, I mean, again, yeah. I, this is not my area of expertise, but it just sounded totally, total BS to me because she said, actually wrote down the direct quote, she calculated the Doppler shift for gravitational and radiation emissions to determine if the touchstone is being used to affect the weather. And she was able tri- to triangulate its location based on that. <laughs> And yeah, that just sounds like so much BS to me. And again, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know atmospheric yeah. sciences, but she was. I have a skeptical. Yeah. But they, she somehow has trapped this to the Nevada desert. Yeah. And she starts by hacking into some NOAA yes, satellites. Yeah, like you do. <laughs> yeah. And she starts to continue, but Hammond cuts her off. Nevada. And Sam's like, yeah, something wrong. And Jack is like, did the second Stargate end up in Nevada at Nellis? Hammond confirms this is the case. And Jack says if the gate's there, then it makes sense. Maybe the touchstone is there too. And Hammond tells Jack, you're going to love this. Guess who got reassigned there? (laughs) Colonel Mayborn. Ah! (laughs) Oh, well, here's good news. This is also really funny to me, actually. Daniel's like, that's where we send the tech we find and bring back for some reason. And so apparently this is Area 51. Yeah. Apparently. So that's where they think that is. That was it, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is it? Dun, dun, dun. (sighs) Ominous music. Hammond runs down into the control room. Ominous music is continuing to play. SG-1 is hanging around again, and Sam is at a computer again. This time she's looking at some MALP transmissions on the monitor. Apparently they have sent it through to Madrona. And there's a blizzard happening. So that's cool. Literally and figuratively. (laughs) There's winds up to 80 miles an hour. If she says if it gets any more intense, then the whole planet is a write-off, basically, because it's apparently unterraforming without the presence of the touchstone there. Tilk asks how much time they have left, and she estimates about 48 to 72 hours. 
Jack asks Hammond if they can go to Nevada, and of course Hammond approves. Jack says to Hammond that it's pretty obvious that their own government is involved, and so he wants to know how they can know who to trust. Sam points out that they already have the security clearance, so they can pretty much just go if they want to. Hammond says, oh yeah, I've totally got some uh, documents, you know, important documents that need to be delivered to Groom Lake. Jack's like, yes, documents, <laughs> sensitive documents. Are they so sensitive that they need a three-person team and a Jaffa escort? <laughs> and Hammond's like, obviously. <laughs> And then the team goes to Nevada. They do. They arrive in a white SUV, which is not important, but I made note of it for reasons that are unclear. <laughs> They're greeted by a Major Reynolds of the NID. And this scene was kind of interesting because the everybody in it was <laughs> shrouded in darkness. It was really Yeah, weird. so they were... Except for Major yes. Reynolds. And they were, but they were outside. Yeah, they were outside, but I feel like it must have been like whatever angle. But like that was a deliberate choice to do that that way. Yeah, clearly. Same like with it reminded me of the guy that I was making fun of before for being extra naughty because he was clearly a deliberate choice to make yeah. him just a silhouette, a backlit silhouette. I wonder also. if there's like a, a a dark and light side metaphor running through this episode in mm. with the lighting and yeah. so they're all in darkness talking to this guy. <laughs> they introduce themselves. Totally. Major Reynolds says, you're a legend. And Jack's like, thanks. This is not important again, but <laughs> he's looking for Mayborn and Mayborn has been paged. Daniel's like, so you know who we are? And he says, yes, we'd be out of business yeah, except for you. they're a legend <laughs> <I> there. <know. laughs> this is another, I think, case of Daniel doesn't have a lot to do in this episode. So he's just throwing yeah, lines so in where he can. So he just likes to restate yeah. the obvious. <laughs> And he leads them off to go find Mayborn, I guess. Or, oh, yeah. yeah. Inside Area 51, they are walking down a hall, and Major Reynolds is pointing out various bits of research that are happening around them thanks to technology brought back by SG teams. He points out some medical research being done to find a cure for Alzheimer's brought back by SG5. He points out the geology department and the space metallurgy department. Metallurgy, metallurgy. yeah. Space Metallurgy Department and the Department for Artifacts, where they are apparently poring over the notes that Daniel had on Heliopolis. <laughs> and in a very robotic voice, Reynolds says, meaning, meaning of, of life, life stuff. stuff. I, I love, love that. that. <laughs> and it has a weird expression on his face. <laughs> it was very weird. <laughs> Daniel gives him a very strange look, too, which made it that much more entertaining. <laughs> So they come to a door and Reynolds stops to punch in some numbers in a keypad. A door next to that one opens and they see a Gwawl death glider in there. Apparently it's one of the ones that was brought back, Reynolds specifies, after they were finished doing their hero thing. thing. Nice work, by the way. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Such a weird yeah. guy. <laughs> They go into the other door that Reynolds was just typing his number into, and this is apparently the bio-research lab. Why he brought them in there, I have no idea, because it has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. Jack asks, is this where you keep the little green men? And Reynolds says, no alien life forms in Area 51. And I loved how insulted <laughs> Taylor looked. <laughs> Jack says, present company excluded, of course, and... Still gives him a little nod of thanks at the acknowledgement. 
So Mayborn comes in because, of course, he'd be re- meeting them here in the bio-research lab for no apparent reason. <laughs> Mayborn says, Tilk, it's good to see you well. And then Tilk snaps his neck. No. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not what happens. But instead, it's also yeah. pretty great because Tilk says, in, in my, my culture, culture, I would be well within, within my rights to dismember you. <laughs> Which is also yes. great. And Mayborn looks very alarmed does. at that. And Tilk walks past him, and we get a glimpse of Daniel just standing there <laughs> behind a lab bench surrounded by equipment for no apparent <laughs> <I know>. reason. <laughs> it made no sense. So Mayborn says, well, that's interesting, <laughs> in response to what Tilk says. And so, of course, he wants to know what they're doing there. And Jack's like, well, we assume the touchstone's here, right? Mayborn says, excuse me? And Sam's like, you might be calling it something different, but, you know, it's the thing that controls the weather that came from Madrona. Mayborn insists they don't have anything there like that. Atilk's like, well, you were aware of our mission to Madrona, though, weren't you? Mayborn says that he thought nothing was brought back from that mission. And Jack's like, yeah, well, not from our team. So Mayborn asks, well, another team then? Jack says, well, you tell me. (laughs) Mayborn requests that they be a little bit less cryptic here and stop beating around the bush. So SG-1 comes right out with it and asks, where is the touchstone? And has the second gate been activated? But Mayborn says that the other gate's been on lockdown and hasn't even been powered up since it was brought there. SG-1 insists on looking at it anyway. And as Mayborn turns to leave, he almost walks right into Tilk, who's crept up to stand right behind him. And he was, of course, very startled. As I'm talking about people creeping up, a hand just comes into my anxiety box. Oh, no. <laughs> and startles me. But then it handed me a beer, so that was great. Oh, man. I don't have creepy hands handing me beers. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um... Starting funny. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I lost my place now. So, speaking of being startled by people being where you don't expect them to be, Mayborn was very startled that Tilk was standing right there behind him. So, Mayborn then pushes past him, and everyone just kind of exchanges sly (laughs) smiles. And again, I literally laughed at that. That was great. Good times, good times. And then we're on the inside while a garage door type thing opens. And the team and Mayborn are standing outside. And we are with the enormous box where the second Stargate lives. And Mayborn's like, there it is. You happy now? (laughs) Not to be confused with Kathy's hot hot. (laughs) (laughs) Very different. Much more full of yes. hay. <laughs> the team goes in for a look because they want to make sure that they're not just looking at a big empty box. So they open it up and move some s- straw around and there it is. And Mayborn's like, satisfied? And Jack's like, no. Mayborn says the gate has been in the crate. Oh, the gate in the crate. Sequel to the cat in the hat has been in, in been there since it was brought here. <laughs> Jack's like, oh, sure, sure. We've been through this dance before. 
Sam then get, uh, gets Jack's attention, knocks on the gate, and says it's made of plastic. Mayborn's like, what? Whoops. <laughs> I don't think the gate's supposed no. to be made of plastic. Teal'c says that Sam is right, and Mayborn's like, that's ridiculous, and comes over for a look. He played this really well, by the way. I genuinely he thought did. he was confused and surprised. Same. <laughs> oh, isn't surprised. <laughs> Mayborn walks away looking concerned, and he says, that's the gate we brought back, and it's been under lock and key since it got here, and so Sam's like, well, where's the real gate? Boop. I don't know why I beeped at the end, but I did. Why not? Beep. And then we get a quick scene transition back to the same place. Jack's like, what happened to the Stargate? Mayborn says, obviously, it's been moved. (laughs) And Jack's like, so it can't be fired up without notice. Mayborn calls that speculative. Yeah. <laughs> Jack says he doesn't know who gives Mayborn orders, but they better come from somewhere where the air is real thin. <laughs> Mayborn asks if Jack is threatening him. He likes to take everything he as does. a threat. To be fair, he deserves a lot of threat threatening. <laughs> also, to be fair, Jack is usually using Yes, that too. Him, so. <laughs> Deserved, but yes. Yeah. Jack asks, what's the punishment for losing the Stargate? And then Mayborn, like, kind of gives away his surprise. And he's like, you presume there was no authorization to move the Stargate. And Jack wants to know who, who would authorize that. I know. And Mayborn's like, that's classified. And Jack's like, we have the high, high clearance. And Mayborn's like, with the military. Jack's at a loss for words for a second. And then it's like, you're telling me this is a civilian operation? And then Mayborn tells his men to escort SG-1 back to their vehicle. Mayborn is not answering any of Jack's questions and tells Jack to let it drop. And tells SG-1 not to make his men get disrespectful. And Jack grabs his hat and the team walks out. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Boom. Things didn't go so well there. No. no. Fucking Mayborn, man. I hate Mayborn. It's the worst. Yeah. Quick break. At least you know, like, where the gold stand. True. Mayborn, you're like, what is your deal, man? <laughs> That's the thing about neutrals. <laughs> you never know where they stand. <laughs> It makes a man go neutral. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't make it, tell my wife. Hello. <laughs> Good yes. times. Now I'm drinking a uh, Headway IPA. Ooh, nice. By Counterweight. Counterweight makes a good beer. Yep. So, uh, after that little side note of... <laughs> Futurama quotes and update on my beer. In the next scene, they're back in the meeting room. Hammond says that they're essentially under operating under a blackout because he can't get any information about the second gate from anybody. Communication channels have essentially been clamped down on. Tilk asks if there's any word on the touchstone. And Sam says that her instrument readings have dropped to zero. Apparently, the weird weather on Earth has also stopped. So whoever it was probably realized that what they were doing was messing with the weather and stopped experimenting with it, both to 
stop wreaking havoc and also to stop drawing attention to themselves. She says that even though they can't track the touchstone, that maybe they can still try to figure out where the other gate is. And Jack is skeptical, but she says that if they go to Madrona and then immediately turn back and overpower the gate in the process, then it should, for whatever reason, for reasons, automatically reroute them to the second gate. Hammond points out that didn't work too well for them last time and they almost died. So Daniel suggests maybe just sending a MALP through instead, because then they can use a GPS to track its coordinates once it comes back to Earth. So Jack and Daniel both offer to go and take part in this mission. They're going to be the ones to go back to Madrona and then send the MALP through the overcharged gate to the second gate, hopefully. And Sam also mentions that they're going to need some extra equipment with them to overpower the gate. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel and Jack go back to a very, very stormy, wintry Madrona. Oh, the weather outside is frightful. Dum, da dum, delightful. But nobody has no place to go. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. The people of Madrona come out to greet them, kind of. (laughs) Roham is like, touchstone? Jack's like, not yet. Roham's (laughs) like, things are real bad. Our crops are going to be decimated. Why are you here? And Daniel tells them they are tracking the touchstone. Roham does not believe them. How are they not dead yet? Because they don't really have anything in the way of warm clothing on. And it didn't seem like their buildings had a whole lot of insulation. Yeah, I'm not sure. And we don't find out because they then basically kick Jack and Daniel off the planet. (laughs) And Daniel kind of, did you see where, like, there's a shot of him and Jack standing, you know, near the DHD, and Daniel's got his uh-huh. hand on Jack's shoulder, like, there, there, dude, it'll be okay. <laughs> I <missed> <laughs> it's kind of weird. He wasn't really patting him, he was just, like, holding his shoulder. I was like, that wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> expecting support. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. And then they start to, then they get back to work overloading and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they got a generator and they yeah. hook it up and whatnot. There's the juice. They send the melt through. Yeah, and then we get a yeah. fun transition back to the gate room. Yeah. Or back to Earth. In the control room, there's a loud rumbling, but the gate doesn't actually open. And Sam says the melt has returned to Earth. She can't track it yet, but the camera's on now. And it's showing a warehouse of some sort. The camera pans around a little bit. It's kind of dark. There seems to be a shadow or a person moving around in the darkness, and then a hand comes into view, and it's holding a gun, and then the screen goes all staticky. Oops. <laughs> Oops, indeed. How many of these maps do they waste, and how expensive are I don't are know. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem like a lot, maybe. It really does, yeah. Later, Daniel and Jack are back, and Sam tells them that the map was destroyed before she could really get a fix on it. But she was able to at least narrow down its location to southern Utah. Hammond says that he's got one last phone call to make and to let him see what he can find out. He gets up and leaves. And then a little bit later, Hammond is outside with a random man. Guy's sitting on the bench. Hammond walks up to him, just all dressed in civvies instead of his normal military dress. Apparently the guy's name is Whitlow, and he insists that they walk while they talk, because that makes it harder 
for the parabolics, <laughs> whatever that means. I think those are those microphones that were recording Jack and Sam uh, in, oh, in DC. Right. Yeah, right. Okay. Hammond says he's glad to see the paranoia quotient is as high as ever. <laughs> but Whitlow's like, oh, you never know who's listening. Hammond says he needs to know who has the Stargate and who has the weather device, but Whitlow says he really doesn't know and hasn't even heard of a weather device. But he's like, are you telling me that the gate is missing? <laughs> Seems rather alarmed by that. Hammond specifies it's the second gate that's missing. <laughs> Whitlow says, that sounds bad. Hammond mentions that Whitlow apparently has connections in like all of the major branches of the government and military. So he's got to know something. But Whitlow says that if it was a military thing, then he would surely know about it. So it must be a civilian thing. Hammond asks if there's anything strange going on at Nellis. Whitlow says nothing as far as he knows about the Stargate or the weather. So Hammond asks if he knows about anything going on in southern Utah. And at this, Whitlow seems to actually remember something. He says that he just got a requisition for a C-5 plane to pick up a classified object at an NID landing site that happens to be in Utah. Hammond wants to know if he has any idea what it's for, but he doesn't. However, Whitlow specifies that a C-5 would be big enough to take the Stargate anywhere in the world that they could possibly want to take it. So he tells Hammond the location of the landing strip. And as Hammond goes to leave, Whitlow asks if they're even now. And Hammond tells him, well, if this pans out, it does. And I really wanted to know what the backstory was on this guy and why he owes Hammond uh, no. a favor. But we don't we don't get that. And I, I really want to know. Maybe someday. Probably not. Probably not. I mean, I could. it could just be me not being able to remember things, which is entirely possible, <laughs> but I don't remember it. No, <laughs> I don't think so. Back in the SGC, Hammond is talking to the team. He says that the NID landing strip does not officially exist. So they don't have any jurisdictional issues, but the C-5 is Air yep. Force property. So that that's, Convenient. you know, their deal. So cool. Right. Their jurisdiction. Yes. And Jack's like, can we go now? And Hammond says they're going to send them in a helicopter to an Air Force base and then they're on their own. And Hammond specifically warns the team <laughs> under no conditions are they to fire on the people who took the gate and the touchstone. They don't know anything about them. They could be on the same side and just don't know it just following orders don't do it don't do it jack's like uh but maybe i need to do it and hammond's like really no <laughs> but maybe they might fire on us <laughs> sam says or what if they fire on us and hammond's like take cover yeah. and don't return any fire unless it's the only option so I bet they stick to oh, this I'm order. Oh, I'm sure. They're very good at sticking to orders. They're very good at following <laughs> orders. They always follow Hammond's orders. I know how much they hate shooting guns, so. Yeah. Oh, they hate, for sure. Especially yeah, Jack. Jack no, doesn't like firing no. guns. <laughs> yeah. So next we're on the random airstrip out in the middle of nowhere in Utah. SG-1 is sneaking around with their weapons drawn and sneak, sneak, sneak for quite a while. Jack uses a spyglass device to look into the window of a big warehouse-type building that happens to be there next to the airstrip. And inside, we see that there's a giant crate 
and some people and a large box truck. SG-1L exchanges various hand signals and Sam seems to be indicating to look at the plane that's landing. And we hear a plane coming in, but then there's a really hard cut (laughs) to probably what was a commercial break at one time before we actually then see the large plane coming in for a landing. It's a big ass plane. It is a big ass plane. Yeah. Back to the team. There's more hand signals going around. Jack slowly opens the door that they're flanking and they quietly sneak in and sneak, sneak, sneak halfway across the warehouse. Good thing that none of the people inside are paying attention because they're able to get within just a few feet of the guys that are in the warehouse tending to the crate before Jack has to shout at them to get their attention and he tells them to stand to and keep their hands visible. So all of these unknown people in blue jumpsuits turn around and put their hands up. But of course, they also want to know who these randos are that just busted into the warehouse. Jack doesn't tell them, but tells them they need to step away from the crate. So they do. Jack tries to sneak up the back of the truck, which is open, but you can't really see inside from the angle he's standing at. So he slowly goes up to it, and we suddenly hear the sound of a DHD being dialed and the gate chevrons being locked in, even though there seems to be no power source for either. And I was a little confused how that works, but... Maybe when it's a true DHD, it's a wireless thing. And maybe when they've had to hook things up to power before, it's only been because the DHD was... Maybe. (laughs) Although in Heliopolis, didn't they need a power source and a DHD? Yeah, but it might have been because the DHD itself was dead or broken. The DHD was broken in Heliopolis. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, true. All right. So despite being packed in a box, the gate opens. It sends its big wave straight up into the air and creates a big hole in the box. The guy from the truck runs out and tries to pick up a case, like a container, that's on the ground. But Jack (laughs) yells at him and, of course, starts firing at him because, you know, he's so good at following orders. So the guy abandons the box and leaps into the gate instead. The others dive for the gate as well, while Jack continues to fire on them, again, despite being ordered not to fire on them. These guys aren't even armed, I would like to point out. Uh, So I was rather irked (laughs) by this scene. He does seem to tag one of them in the arm. Yeah. But not to the point where it prevents the guy from also jumping through the gate. Daniel tries to race to the back of the truck to see what the address is, but the gate closes and the DHD powers down before he can actually see what the glyphs were that were dialed. Again, convenient Stargate timing. Exactly. Or inconvenient, but... (laughs) Yeah. It always stays open exactly as long as it needs to in order to be either the most convenient or the least convenient, depending on what the plot is. Sam goes up to the container uh, that was on the ground that the guys had tried to grab before they went through the gate and opens it. And inside is the touchstone. So at least they've got that. Yeah. So, you know, if Jack had shot that dude, they might not have the touchstone. Uh. <laughs> <sighs> or they'd have a dead possibly not yeah, bad guy we don't know but, yeah. Kathy do you think there will be any repercussions from them uh, ignoring Hammond's order and just opening fire on these unarmed men for no I reason I think that at some point there is going to be an elaborate revenge plot against Jack for shooting that guy in the arm and that guy is gonna like I don't know cut Jack's arms off <laughs> Both of <them>? yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. With interest, uh, payback. To, uh, 
not an eye for an eye, but two eyes for an eye or yes. two arms for an arm. Yeah. Good times. That yeah. was terrible. Right, I, like I don't know. Anyway. I think you should write some fanfic in which that great. happens. Great. It'll be great. It'll be better than what I yeah. just said because I would actually think about it. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Good times. SG-1 returns to Madrona with the touchstone. And Roham's niece is like, they've come back just like I told you they would. Isn't that exactly what she said the first time, too, in, like, pretty much the I same tone? So. <laughs> <laughs> They're back, Uncle Roham! Did you bring the touchstone? They've come back, Uncle Roham, just as I told you! Do they have the touchstone? So they hand over the touchstone, and Roham takes it and twists the rings a bit and some magic triangle lights appear and float off and work their magic on the weather. Then everybody goes in and they put the touchstone back on the statue's awkward hand. (laughs) Wrists don't do that and shoulders don't rotate (laughs) out like that either. They thank the team for bringing back the touchstone and Daniel says we hope that your trust in us has been restored. Denise says yes there's peace between our worlds now and Roham says they will remain vigilant and keep the touchstone safe and Jack's like make sure the guards pay attention the the locals are talking about how there's going to be peace between their two worlds now like completely ignoring the fact that it was people from Earth that took the thing in the first place so that you know there's still bad guys from Earth so Maybe they shouldn't just be like, yeah, let's trust everybody from Earth Maybe again. Maybe SG-1 isn't going to tell them where the touchstone was <laughs> and who took yeah. it. <laughs> They're like, oh, it was, uh, it was Apophis. He did it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's totally yeah. Apophis. Apophis did evil. it and uh, we're, we're, we're yeah. cool, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Hathor, she probably had a hand in it too. All right. Who else? Yeah. I don't know. It's all kinds of gold. Harry or for sure had a hand in this. They all teamed up just to steal this touchstone. And not a backwards twisted hand like the statue has either. The touchstone works very quickly and the niece opens a door and it's beautiful out again. Where did all the snow go? I wanted to know that too. Like nothing's even wet. (laughs) It didn't melt. It just evaporated. Magic triangles. Instantly. That's what happened. They had magic triangles come out of that thing, and they sucked it all up, those magic triangles. Apparently. Back in the meeting room, Sam says things are mostly back to normal on both Earth and Madrona. Daniel adds that they think it's likely that they will be allowed to return to Madrona soon to do the studies on the touchstone that they had initially wanted to do. Jack asks Hammond if he's got any idea what happened, but Hammond says it's still a shell game and the investigation is taken out of his hands but he doesn't know by who or why so daniel's rather perturbed that they might never know who the guys in the blue jumpsuits were and tam is like not unless you can tell me where they went burn daniel burn (laughs) so until then hammond says that all the sg teams will need to be watching for four nid guys wandering around (laughs) on other planets jack's like great that's cool. <laughs> it won't be hard to spot four humans among the many humans on other worlds. Right. Yeah, it will be very difficult. For yeah. sure they can't change their clothes out of the blue no. jumpsuits they were wearing. No. no. 
Jack asks, does this mean that this can happen all again? But Hammond says no, because he actually is able to ensure that the other gate is not going to be used. Apparently there's going to be a permanent iris welded over it, and it's actually going to be kept under his command. So it's going to be kept under the command of the SGC under constant guard. And he says they'll all be there when it's put away for good, just to make sure that actually happens. So they all attend the putting away ceremony. The putting yeah. away for good ceremony. Uh, I thought you were going to talk about pudding for a second, like chocolate pudding. Mm, I was pudding. Like, pudding. There's a pudding ceremony? That would be nice. Yes. I want a pudding ceremony. The team and Hammond and Mayborn are all there watching the cover get welded onto the second Stargate. Why do they call it an iris? It's really just a big piece of metal. I don't know. It's not at all an iris. I don't know. I don't know. Jack walks over to Mayborn and is like, hmm, out of a job? And Maywood's like, strange things happen in high places. People and property get reassigned. Artifacts go missing. Orders changed. So mysterious. Every day's a new day. <laughs> <laughs> Mayborn walks away. Uh, it That's is. it. Yeah. I did like the, uh, the last scene. The last shot was like of a, a ceiling height view down on the people welding the gate and SG-1 kind of standing around it. The glow from the welding that was happening was kind of pretty. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's is that. Yeah. Ooh, I'm getting a headache from these headphones. Oh, dear. Talk fast. Anyway. Kathy. Yes. Did you like this episode? I did like this episode. Oh, good. I like, I like all this added layer of intrigue we're getting related to the Stargate now that we've got, you know, a mysterious second Stargate and a whole other group of people who are doing things off world. Uh, They're obviously, I feel like they fall into the not so good guys category because one, they're in league with Mayborn and two, (laughs) they steal a weather device that's literally keeping a bunch of people on a planet alive. Yeah. How many people do we think are on that planet? They, they never specify. Say. It could be a few hundred. It could be like tens of thousands or yeah. millions for all we know. Yeah. And they're besmirching the good name of the SGC by... That's right. But yeah. So I think that it'll be interesting. They're setting up a lot, I feel like, for future conflicts yeah. among the humans on Earth, which I actually think is really good because mm-hmm. that's very realistic, I feel like. Yeah. Not that people are cartoonishly evil, but that people have differing opinions about how everything should go and different values. Some people, and... I feel, are cartoon. Yes. I feel some people are cartoonishly evil, That's though. true. <laughs> A few politicians in particular. Mm, yeah. That uh, I will not name, but that people can probably yeah. guess. Yeah. So I, I really liked it. Yeah. I. That's what I had. I'm done. <laughs> how about you? <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it very much. I, I did really like this episode. As I mentioned, there were several parts that I was really entertained by and even laughed out loud, (laughs) even though I was just walking on the treadmill by myself (laughs) as I was watching it. So it was really entertaining to me. I thought it was a good and really interesting plot, and I kept wishing that we had one of those touchstone devices to deal with our global climate change issues, but sadly we do not, so the chaos will continue with with all that stuff. But um, yeah, it was a good episode, as far as I was concerned. Kept moving along nicely. There's a lot of talking, but then there's some fair amount of action stuff. I don't like when an episode is like all talking. As I've said before, I 
get bored. <laughs> My brain wanders. So yeah, good episode. I enjoyed it very much. Yeah. All right. So Kathy. Yes. What is next? Next, we will be discussing Stargate SG-1 Season 2 Episode 15. Holy fuck, 15. I wow, know. that's a weird thing to name it. I'm surprised <laughs> they could put that on broadcast TV. <laughs> that's me realizing that we're already 15 seasons into season two. 15 episodes. Into- 15 seasons in? Wow, I didn't even know there were that many seasons. What happened? How long have I been out, You've for? Been out for? I thought we were in season two out of I ten. I know, I know. I'm sorry, and I can't speak. But yes, it's season- episode 15 of season two, which I think is crazy. <laughs> it really is. I know. It's insane. There's like, what, seven left? Because there's only 22 episodes? Yes, 22. In this one? Yeah, it's crazy. So anyway, SG-1 Season 2 Episode 15 is called The Fifth Race. O'Neill receives the knowledge of the inventors of the Stargate, but the knowledge is too complex for humans and will cause O'Neill to lose his mind. Oh. Or. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, then. <laughs> While studying alien wall inscriptions on another planet, O'Neill peers into a viewer that unleashes ancient knowledge into his mind. But the information is infecting O'Neill's brain like a cancer, and the SG-1 team must reverse the process before his mind completely reconfigures. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it actually says is completely reconfigured, but I did, halfway through I, I was already committed to saying reconfigured. Yeah. Yeah. Alien wall inscription. I don't know why that just strikes me as a weird <laughs> thing to call it. When it does. I think I recall this episode and I'm looking forward I to it. Episode. I Yeah, I think I actually do like it. Although uh, now knowing way more about how the human brain works than I used to, I wonder <laughs> if I will still like it as much as I have when I have watched it previously. And I'm hoping that I will. <laughs> I hope so. We'll find yeah. out. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure that you subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice if you have not already done so, so that you can get our episodes as soon as they're released every Monday. You can also find us on YouTube, and reviews and likes are very greatly appreciated on all of those various places, since they help others find the podcast, and word of mouth is greatly appreciated as well. So make sure you tell all your friends if you're enjoying the show. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email. We're, Stargate, we're at stargatesing at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Stargatesing, both of those places. If you're feeling generous and if you want early access to episodes and access to our episodes reviewing Stargate Origins series, then you can sign up for our Patreon. We are at patreon.com slash stargatesing. Last but not least, you can check out our website at stargatesing.space. I'm Mary. I'm Kathy. And you've been listening to Stargatesing. The end. The end. Regardless of any interdisciplinary, uh, interplanetary diplomacy, inter. <laughs> this is hard. I know. <laughs> Regardless of any interplanetary diplomacy.